This is the Commons LA Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the biblical teachings and sermons from our Sunday gatherings. For more information on how you can get connected at the Commons LA, please check us out online at thecommonsla.com. There's a lot of great information there. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. everyone. Really glad to be with you all. Uh, My name is Devin. I am a staff elder here at the Commons LA. We have not had a chance to meet. Um, At this moment in our gathering, we we kind of pivot from coming in, trying to face God, bring our whole selves before Him, and then actually come to Him and embracing Him through prayer, and opening ourselves to Him. And then we seek to listen We follow a speaking God, and His Word comes forth and changes us and corrects us and comforts us, and so every time we gather, we want to open up God's Word and open ourselves to the Spirit of God, and um, so you can open up in your handout uh, or in a Bible to Luke chapter 9, that's where we're going to be today. While you're doing that, I just got to share with you, I heard someone this week say that there is no quicker way to shrink your church than to prioritize two things, prayer and evangelism. No quicker way to shrink your church. And it just bowled me over. And I actually started like tearing up in, in just how joyfully proud I am of our church over the last year plus now, devoting ourselves to prayer and just humbling ourselves to say, we don't know how to pray as we ought to. And we're going we're gonna to dedicate ourselves to drawing near to Jesus in prayer. And in this year, adding to that, learning to pray on mission and evangelism, if you want to call it that, or speaking Jesus to people that don't yet know him. It's very hard, right? It takes courage. And we want to humble ourselves and acknowledge, my goodness, like we want to see our friends, family, coworkers, neighbors come to know Jesus in the way that we have too. And the fact that we're here... <laughs> gathering when conventional wisdom says, man, the thing that that people in our church culture don't like the most, talking about prayer and talking about mission. And so as we just start today, I'm just really, really grateful that I get to be a part of a church family like ours that's willing to look at the hard stuff and say, there's a reason that it's hard because it's not done in the way that the scriptures call us to do. And my goodness, I just think God's going to be so faithful to meet us, and that he'll meet us this morning as we open up the scriptures. Um, Luke 9, we've been in a series on the gospel of the kingdom. When we look at Jesus' first teachings in the gospels, he was proclaiming that the kingdom of God was at hand. It was here. God himself had come near in Jesus, and Jesus was sent to accomplish this, uh, this gospel good news that human beings through Jesus could live life that was not previously available to them in the degree that it was now in him. That is, living life with God for the sake of the world. And so we've been unpacking this, trying to understand what does it mean, the gospel of the kingdom, and what is this kingdom of God? How do we live into it? Because we as a church, the scriptures say, are an embassy of the kingdom of God in a world of darkness. But what does it look like to live the light of God 
in the world that's around us. Today we're going to be talking about the authority of the kingdom of God. The authority of the kingdom of God. So would you stand with me as we read Luke 9, verses 1 through 6. Summoning the twelve, that is the apostles, Jesus gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, he told them. No staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we want to hear your word this morning. We want to ask Spirit, we bring in so many cares, so much anxiety, even worse than that, depression and doubts and these things that, that can cripple us. And we, we want to do the best that we can to try and hear you and your voice and bring our full selves here to you and to one another. So Spirit of God, would you help us? Would you open the ears of our hearts? Would you give us willing hearts to hear things, even things that are challenging, from your scriptures. Lord, we want to be challenged because we know that that means that, that you're not like us, that you're bigger than us, you're greater than us. And Jesus, we want to learn to follow you in integrity, um, not in name only, but in the substance of your kingdom. So we submit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you can go ahead and take a seat. So, it's like a month ago, I have to share this story with you, maybe two months ago. Um, we have a little girl, Adelaide, that we dedicated in church like three years ago in the middle of COVID on the Broxton, or Brockton, parking, Broxton parking garage over there, back when we were meeting on top in the middle of COVID. And she's in preschool now. And she came home one day and we were at, I was asking her, like, who are your friends at preschool? And she's like... Oh, this person and this person and Adonio. I was like, Adonio? That's a really interesting name. And I said, are you sure it's Adonio? Said, yeah, Adonio. Okay. And so one day Kate was picking her up from, from class and she saw next to Adelaide's cubby, a little cubby, and the name was Antonio. And so then she hears one of the teachers, who is Latina, pronounce Antonio, pronounced it Andonio. And Adelaide, our four-year-old, heard that and said, oh, your name's Adonio. And for about four months has thought that her little friend in class is named Adonio. <laughs> but to, the spelling of it is Antonio, and there are ways to pronounce Antonio that are a bit different nuanced from one another, and her little ears didn't quite understand, oh, okay, I, I, I get it. Accent meant she didn't understand because the accent was different than the one that she was used to. And I think as we read a passage like this in the scriptures, 
the accents of what we emphasize in the scriptures and the church background that we have, someone who taught you how to read the Bible, maybe the first church that you were really discipled in, trains you in a particular way of hearing the scriptures. And if you're like me, I grew up in a church that loved the Bible. We studied the Bible. We read the Bible cover to cover every year. We were dedicated to the scriptures. But when I got to passages like this one this morning, it, it felt very foreign to me. It was like an Adonio passage. It was like, I, yeah, okay, I'm just not used to this. And over the last five years, our church has been on a journey of having our, our eyes, our ears open to the robustness of what following Jesus really entails in our lived experience. Because if we believe that the scriptures are God's word and God's spirit comes and primarily helps us kind of understand the word of God, but this is the primary way or maybe even the only way that God speaks and leads us, then we start to cut off some of the things that the scriptures themselves tell us God does for us. In this passage today, Jesus does something shocking. He gives authority to his followers to be his ambassadors in the world. He gives his 12 apostles three forms of power and authority. The authority to proclaim the kingdom of God being here for anyone to enter into it if they would just give their allegiance to Jesus. We call it faith sometimes. Second, the authority over Satan and demons. Third, the authority to heal the sick. All right, so my old ears in my original church that I was discipled in would have heard that first one and said, yes, amen. Second and third one, woo, okay. And so what we tried to do was say, well, that was kind of for them back then, maybe just to kind of kickstart the Jesus work and the movement in the church. But for us today, we don't need to be too concerned about those things. But what we've, what we've grown to see and what we've learned from churches different than, than the ones like I grew up in, and maybe that many of you grew up in, an intellectual context like this, this is oftentimes the area where we're really comfortable. But walking into authority and the spiritual realm, we start to get uncomfortable. A dictionary definition of authority is the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. Jesus, did you really intend to give authority to your people for your kingdom? The word that Jesus uses here for authority, exousia, means authority, right, or power to do something. The word that Jesus uses for power, dunamis, the where we get the word dynamite from, gives the sense that it's power to actually make something happen. It's not... Pseudo-power, it's not good thinking. It is a particular power to affect reality on behalf of God's kingdom. If you remember back four or five weeks ago, the first teaching that we did in this series, we were defining what is this kingdom? The word that Jesus uses, basileia, means an active reign. It's not kingdom in the sense of like the queen of England has a kingdom and it's uh, where she has rightful claim. It's like a kingdom where the king is present and moving. Jesus reigns through his people in the world on behalf of his kingdom. 
My one goal for us this morning is to convince you that if you belong to Jesus, if you follow him, if you are a citizen of his kingdom, you have unimaginable authority and power for good in the world around you and in the lives of the people around you. Do we take this authority that Jesus gives his followers seriously? Maybe you grew up like me and you looked at the scriptures and you just believe God's so sovereign. Subtext is he just does whatever he wants apart from me. You excluded yourself from the dignity and the authority that Jesus wants to imbue you with. When someone's sick or hurt, do we pray for them right there on the spot, believing that Jesus can heal them? When someone's crippled by lies from the evil one, from lying spirits at work in our world, do we speak truth with a kind of authority that says, that's not true. You are not that. God is not that. Are we able to speak of Jesus as a current reality in our world for all people? Or just as some kind of worldview that only has to do with when we die? In my experience, my, my own life, because I'm right there with you all. We are learning this together. I already shared with you the first 10, 12 years of my faith following Jesus. I just didn't understand any of this. It was like a world, a room in the house of life with God that hadn't been opened to me. And now that we're, we're seeing that it's available and it's a joy to enter into, we want to learn. I mean, if you could pray for someone and God could heal them through your prayers, how incredible. The joy of participating in the goodness of the kingdom of God like that. And to see someone open, have their eyes open to say, Jesus isn't just an idea or a worldview. Man, what could God do through us like that? So in my experience, there are two reasons why I, we, don't take these scriptures about authority seriously in our church, in the Western church, in urban university contexts like ours. The first one is the belief that the mighty works of Jesus were unique to him because of his godness. So we just say, Jesus is God, come on. Like, he's going to do these things that are just so far beyond anything that we could ever expect. Well, when we look at Luke, the gospel where this text that we're looking at in the scriptures today is, the first eight chapters are opening up for us where Jesus' authority came from. In Luke 8, the scriptures, that chapter alone, systematically convey the authority that Jesus had in his earthly ministry. It says he had authority over nature, as he said, be still to the storm at sea in Luke 8, 22. His authority over demons, as he said, come out in his confrontation with the man demonized by legion in verse 26. Jesus' authority over disease, as he said, daughter, your faith has saved you to the woman who had suffered from the issue of blood for 12 years. And his authority over death, as he said, child, get up to raise Jairus' daughter in verse 40. We're supposed to be hearing Jesus hand off this authority as one who actually has authority. And he is good. His authority is not to extort or extract for his own gain, but to spread the kingdom of power and restoration 
and love in the world. Jesus himself did not use his godness to do any of his mighty works in the scriptures. In fact, Luke makes the case and makes it a pointed fact that Jesus was the first spirit-filled human. Okay? Not that he wasn't God, I'm not saying that. He was God and man come together. Philippians 2 tells us that he set aside his godness. He didn't take it up so that he could identify with us, so that he could bring something unique to us. In Luke 3.21, we read that the Spirit of God descends on Jesus in physical appearance at his baptism, and the Father speaks in the identity of his Son over him. In Luke 4, we read that Jesus was full of the Spirit, and that drove him out into the wilderness for his temptation. In Luke 4.14, 4, we read that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And over the next four and a half chapters, we read story after story where his teaching had authority. He confronts evil spirits that were keeping people in bondage and evil and darkness and healing diseases and broken bodies. And we're not supposed to read it as, yeah, well, Jesus was God. We're supposed to read it as, what is this new kind of humanity that God is bringing? And that Jesus is giving. Now, you might be saying, well, yeah, but didn't you notice that that was for the 12? That Jesus had the apostles and he gave them power. Because there's kind of this thought, maybe they were unique and special. One chapter later, we're not going to get into it now, you can go read Luke 10. Where Jesus brings 72 others and does the same thing with them. He says, I'm giving you authority and power. Go out in my name, cast out evil spirits, heal the sick, proclaim the kingdom of God. All of that to say, if you follow Jesus, the scriptures themselves say that by the Spirit of God, whom every follower of Jesus has, brings the authority of the kingdom of God to you, intending to bring power through you. This is key and fundamental to the gospel itself, fam. Jesus died for us to remove our sin, to pay for our sin, but not just to leave us in this static middle ground, to bring us into the presence of God, that we could hear Him speak our identity as daughters and sons over us, and that we would go in the confidence of our inheritance and our title to walk in the power of the authority we have as royal daughters and sons. So I just want to invite us as a church family and you wherever you are at in growing in Jesus to not overlook this. To not think this is some auxiliary thing for people called to ministry. This is an every member of the kingdom of God thing. Because the stakes are just too high. The suffering, the needs, the, the darkness around us, we need to understand what we have in authority so that we can participate with God in His kingdom. Learning to steward this authority of Jesus is not an optional add-on to the Christian life. When you go and read Luke 10 to see if this is really something for all of you, the 72 come back to Jesus joy. 
when you see the power of God move through you to affect the life of another, you experience the joy of the purpose and dignity God wants to give to you as one of his people. Not to mention the other person getting to experience wholeness, healing, freedom. Jesus' kingdom comes not as one worldview among many, but as one kingdom among two. Okay? This is the storyline of Scripture again. This is why it is so important that we take up this kind of authority. Because Jesus isn't just calling us to follow him through a wilderness of a lot of different options. The kingdom of Jesus came to invade the kingdom of darkness. It's really easy to believe. People are happy out there. People are living good lives. They're, They're fulfilled human beings. And we just find our fulfillment in Jesus. A lot of people believe that. But the story of the scriptures is that God who created us is where we actually find our life. It's where we find wholeness. It's where we find dignity that can't be taken by other people. It's where we find the kind of stability and affirmation that when other people mistreat us or prejudice against us, do evil toward us, we have solid footing still. This is where we actually find the power to love people sacrificially. And the alternative is to leave the one who is life and walk out into what the scriptures call death. So we who say we follow Jesus bear responsibility to walk in the authority and power of the kingdom of life in a world longing for it, whether they know it or not. There's joy for us on the table. There's intimacy with God on the table. And there's being used by God in the lives of people craving it who may not even know it yet on the table. So, if you belong to Jesus, you have his authority. Are we walking in it? How do we grow in this authority and power of the kingdom? It helps me to think about the distinction between authority and power in this way. Authority is being plugged into the right source. So if we are in Jesus, he is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's given it to us. We've got to be plugged into Jesus to have authority. But power, the power from that authority wanting to move through us, is dependent on other things. Okay, so how do we grow in authority and power? I'm going to give us one key from the scriptures to authority and two keys to power. Okay, the one key to authority is to know who you are. Know who you are. If you are in Jesus, you need to know who you are. Listen to this astounding statement that the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 20-23. God exercised this power in Christ 
by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above all rule and authority, above all power and dominion, okay, over every other authority, Paul's saying, and given every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, the new creation. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed Jesus as head over everything for the church, which is, get this, he just said the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Paul's complicated. We, you need to go and like read this and underline stuff and understand what he's saying there, but I'll tell you really simply what Paul's saying. Jesus is over every other authority in the universe. And the church is his fullness in the world. Jesus enacts his authority in the world through his people. You are seated with him in the heavenly places, Paul writes. You are a royal son or daughter of the king. When we see darkness and brokenness, all the other effects of every other kingdom and authority in the world, which at the end of the day always has to exhaust us, has to enslave us, has to leave us empty. We have the authority of Jesus and his kingdom. The reason it's hard to believe that is because we feel in our gut a whole lot of other things that say different things about who we are. In the prayer room upstairs that we started in January, praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in one-hour slots, we had a lot of activities written all over the wall, and one of them was, what are some of the things you want to give to Jesus? People wrote things on sticky notes and put them up there. Lies that they feel and hear, that we feel and hear on a regular basis, that counter against who God says we are. I need to do things to gain people's approval. Other people don't really enjoy my company. No one cares about me. I am a mistake. I need to achieve in order to be worthy. I won't make it. I'm not good enough. I'm going to fail. I'll mess up the chances you've given me. I'm letting God down. Other people are fine and happy without God. Suffering means I'm failing. I hate myself and other people. I need, I need to be more afraid of people than God. I need to make my own future. And on and on and on and on. These things that we start to let reside in our guts, these statements about who we are and the way that we need to feel out in the world, I could say all day long, this is who you are in Jesus. This is who you are in Jesus. This is who you are in Jesus. But until that seeps down into our guts and says, no, I am not what I do. I am not my success or my failures. I'm a daughter of the king. I'm a son of the king. Until it displaces that lie, we will unplug ourselves from authority. You want to know some of the ways that this manifests? Think about the way that you're prone to pray. I catch myself so oftentimes trying to like backpedal my prayers just to kind of say, Lord, would you, would you just, like that's one of our favorite words, just, it feels like it softens our request. It feels like it humbles us a little bit. Lord, we just ask that you would heal them. And if you don't, 
uh, please comfort them in their sufferings. I used to pray like that all the time. It was the only kind of praying that I did for people that were hurting. But there's a problem. You want to know you don't hear that prayer? The Bible. We pick up these ways of praying for people that take us out of that, disc, that uncomfortable place of authority that God has placed us in. And so I want to invite you to take the thoughts and gut feelings because so often lies manifest in us emotionally by the way we feel afraid or shame. God help me see some major fear of man when I get around other strong pastoral figures from other churches. It just revealed this lack of security that I have in me. Like, I am how my church is going, or I am how others perceive me. And I needed to take again, Lord, who do you say that I am? What is it for you? Who do you believe you are? When your Father in heaven says... This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Authority comes from knowing who you are. Realize that authority. And if you are in Jesus, you are already plugged into the greatest power in the cosmos, the one that created all of this. But then how do we become effective conduits for God's power? Two things. The first is... Cleanse yourself. Choose that language really particularly. Um, any electrical engineers in the room? All right. Josh, what's your name? Jonah. All right, you could, you could check me on this. The conductivity of a metal, of a, of a substance, like a wire, has a lot of factors, okay? The conductivity of a metal has partially to do with the purity of that metal. Yeah? Okay, that's one thing. I'm not saying that's everything. The power of a cord, of a cable, to be able to conduct power from its source directly has to do with its purity. The same is true in the kingdom of God. God gives power to those who have cleansed themselves of the sins that he's revealed to them. So we wade into the uncomfortable area of saying, hey, when we walk through life, Sunday to Saturday, we stumble, we fall, we sin. Not saying God gives power to those who are faultless. God gives power to those who are perfect. But what we do when the Spirit convicts us of sin does directly contribute and correlate to His ability to work through us in power. Isn't this normally how the pattern of sin goes? I just like thought about my own cycle, like when the Spirit reveals sin in me. Fear of man rather than fear of God, whatever it might be. This is how it goes. We start by entertaining temptation. We see it. We're, we don't run from it. And then uh, we fall into sin. Then we feel ashamed. Feel like a total failure. Especially if this is something that we've done a thousand times over. And then we feel terrible fear at the thought of sharing it with anybody else, what they'll think of us. And so we get really earnest before God at some point, maybe 
hours, days, weeks later, we say, God, I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. Help me, help me, help me. But we don't open up to anybody else. And some time passes. We start the whole cycle all over again. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet, Peter said, wash all of me. And Jesus said, you are already clean by the word that I've spoken to you. When you were baptized into Jesus, he cleansed you. What you don't need is a rebaptism in him. You don't need to be re-forgiven and cleansed of all of your sin. It's like as we go through life, we pick up sin on our feet. We need continual washing of our feet so that the sin that we pick up as we live our day-to-day lives would be cleansed. Because it's impossible to sin and stay in God's presence. There's a reason we feel far from God when we disobey His good law. We're leaving the path of life with Him in an attempt to find life apart from Him. Sin could be defined as leaving God's presence. But the really hard truth in this is not just that we leave God's presence, it's that we walk out into darkness when we sin and don't deal with it. This is where Scripture has some really challenging things to say to us. Sin is us leaving God's domain and entering out into the domain of the devil. We're still believers. We still have Holy Spirit in us. We're just pushing him down into like our big toe and walking out into darkness. And when we walk out into the domain of the evil one, we give him some kind of right to afflict us. When Jesus heals people and tells them to go and sin no more, it seems that he's saying, theologians commentate, that he's saying sin is what got them into the suffering. When Judas took the first Lord's Supper from Jesus' own hand, while in his heart was far from him, the scriptures say Satan entered into him. When we leave the light of God's presence and wander into the darkness of the evil one's domain, we're roaming into a jungle where the greatest threat isn't vicious animals, but deceiving and afflicting spirits. This isn't supposed to be terrifying. Like, I'm not trying to scare you into repentance. This is just what the scriptures say. And it should be terrifying. And the truth is, we say sin's not nearly as scary because God loves us so much and Jesus paid the sacrifice that can pay for every sin. And so what we end up doing is thinking sin isn't as scary as it really is. Here's the good news, though. If you have come to Jesus, you have the power at your disposal to walk back into his presence. 1 John 1 says, This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we're lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us. There's a really uncomfortable part of following Jesus and it's vulnerability. 
Jesus requires that you allow yourself to be known by him and your brothers and sisters in order to experience the cleansing power of his death and resurrection by the Holy Spirit. Jesus will not let us go it alone in our discipleship. And so I want to invite you today, whatever the Spirit may be convicting you of, or maybe there's something he did convict you of, and you said, oh, I'll share it with so-and-so, and then you forgot about it, and you're still just carrying it. Carrying it and not giving it over to the cleansing of Jesus diminishes God's power to work through you. Because God can't work through someone who's living in contrast to the gospel of his kingdom. He's a wise father. He won't give the car keys to the four-year-old. Okay? But he's intent on that four-year-old growing in maturity and being transformed. Because here's the thing. To steward the authority of Jesus, you need to be someone who will use it not for yourself, but for the sake of others in God's glory. And sin is just our life bending back on ourselves. So I, would, I want to invite you today, you can go to our prayer team, we'll have people up here, that you can share to whatever degree you are comfortable with something that you need cleansing from this morning and watch as your soul warms to the grace and glory and love of Jesus. He's trying to pour it out for you. Don't hold yourself back from him by refusing to confess it. So one element of the conductivity of God's power through us is cleansing ourselves. Second thing, lastly, another key measure of the conductivity of a metal, we need to consecrate ourselves. We don't just leave the darkness. We devote ourselves to God in consecration. So on a metal wire... Conductivity has to do with the amount of free space for electrons on the outer ring of the molecule, right? Yeah? Josh? Okay, good. We need to have open space in our life for God to move. Consecration is the old language of the priesthood in the Old Testament. It's language that the New Testament picks up for followers of Jesus. Here's the thing. If you want to grow in following Jesus, the world is not trying to give you ample free time. It's not even trying necessarily to get you caught up in all this evil stuff. The world's just trying to fill your life with clutter, distraction, endless joyous commitments. You could have an event of every night of the week and then just say like, oh, I'll just be a part of God's family later, next week, whatever it might be. Consecrating ourselves means intentionally foregoing good things to leave space and make it available for the best, the ultimate, the necessary thing. Every movement of God, you know, every movement of God in a city, a place, a church happens when people, particularly young people, say we're not buying what the world's offering us. We want Jesus. We want what God has for us. We're going to cultivate that hunger to consecrate ourselves and leave space open in our lives. So maybe for you this morning, it's walking out into the light with cleansing, receiving from Jesus again. Maybe for others of us, you might feel like, hey, I've done business there. 
Maybe it's, I need to set myself apart more for the purposes of God. Maybe it's just saying, Jesus, I want you to use me. I don't want my schooling or my work to be about me for my own gain. I want to be used of you. Because that is a prayer that the scriptures promise us God will use. Listen to this. 2 Timothy 2, 21 and 22 says, If anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master of the house, prepared for every good work. God is looking for people who will open themselves up for his purposes in the world. Know who you are. Cleanse yourself. Consecrate yourself. Really simple thing you can do. Come to with God night tonight. Set apart time to say, God, I want to facilitate more hunger for you in consecration. I want to walk with you. I want to trust that you'll meet me as I set aside time. If we want to steward the authority and power of the kingdom as God's ambassadors, learning to pray on mission, we cannot rely on worldly wisdom. If we want to see people give their allegiance to follow Jesus or be healed or delivered, our authority is not going to come from our own ingenuity. Our power is not going to come from our own strategy. But as God says in Zechariah 4.6, not by strength or by might, but by my spirit. God's looking for people and churches who will make themselves dependent on his spirit, learn his ways, and open themselves to his kingdom. Thanks for listening. We hope you found this week's episode encouraging and strengthening in your walk with Jesus. For more information on how you can get connected at The Commons LA, please check us out online at thecommonsla.com. There's a lot of great information there. Also, we'd love to have you join us at one of our church gatherings on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at Upside Down Cafe in Westwood Village. We hope you'll continue to enjoy these podcast episodes. Mm-hmm.